welcome to The Northern Connection, a podcast all about books. In each episode, we chat to authors about their books, their inspirations, and their own Northern Connections. This episode is hosted by Rachel, Rebecca, and myself, Emma, and we catch up with Josh Silver to talk about his debut uh, young adult novel, Happy Head. Here's Rebecca to tell you a little bit more about Josh. Josh Silver grew up on a farm in the Lake District. He trained as an actor at the Royal Academy of Dramatic Art in London and went on to perform in the West End and on Broadway. After deciding to change careers, Josh now works with teenagers as a mental health nurse. He lives in Manchester with his husband and their dog, Dodger. Happy Head is his first novel. Welcome to the Northern Connection, Josh. Please, can you tell us about your new book, Happy Head? Yeah, I'd love to. Can I just say thank you so much, Emma, Rachel and Rebecca, for having me. It's a real pleasure to be here with you today. Um, so, yeah, Happy Head is it's a young adult dystopian thriller that um, I wrote during lockdown, actually. Uh, I was working on some mental health wards. Uh, I, I was retraining as a mental health nurse. I used to be an actor a long time ago. Um, well, it feels like a long time ago now. I think I've put a lot of distance between myself and that um career so i was working on the wards and i sort of missed being creative and i'd uh, started writing this book so happy head is about a young boy called seb he's 17 years old and he is a fairly anxious and uh uncomfortable and unhappy young boy who's who, who, young man i should say he's 17 and he, he struggles with the world. He struggles to be in the world. Um, and his parents have noticed that. And then he receives a letter through the post saying that he has been selected as one of 100 participants to go to a new project that's been designed to make young people happy called Happy Head. Uh, it's up in the Scottish wilderness and he will go for 13 days where he will learn skills and he will be assessed and challenged. He's a people pleaser. I think that's really important to say about Zeb. It's a massive part of his nature is that he's desperate to make people happy. And I think he, oh, sorry, he's desperate to make people proud of him, which he thinks will make him happy. Um, and I think uh, you've all read the book, which is amazing. Um, you know that that is, is part of his conflict throughout the story. So as he goes through the challenges and the assessments, he's torn between impressing the people in charge and sort of following who he truly is. And then he starts to understand the truth that something pretty terrible is going on and they seem to be competing. And he meets a boy called Phineas Blake, who he develops a relationship with. Um, and then they have to sort of find a way out. That's that's great, thank you. And would you say then that your idea for, for the book came from your work as a mental health nurse? Do you know what? That is a really interesting question, Emma, because I think my idea from the book is certainly tied up in mental health. Uh, and the work that I was doing at the time was really, uh, useful in terms of how systems work um but i think the idea for for me you know there's a there's a sort of sense of seb going through this conflict about making people happy making people like him and in order to to gain their approval to make himself happy 
that's what he thinks he needs to do. And I, I've spent a lot of my life in that place. So I think, you know, for me, that's really where the sort of seed of it started is, you know, when I quit acting, I thought I'd failed. I thought I'd sort of ruined everything and let everyone down and everyone's expectations of me were just like shattered, I thought. And, but leaving the acting industry was the best thing I ever did. It allowed me to be myself fully and to have the confidence to be creative with an agency that I didn't feel I could have as an actor. So it shattered my illusion of what I needed to do to be happy because ultimately I'd done the thing I never thought I would ever allow myself to do. I considered it failure and I did it and it released me into this place. So that's where the nugget came from. But then setting it in this world of a sort of structured mental health system certainly came from uh, working on the wards and, and how desperate the system is, how, how much it is struggling to keep people safe and how people will accept quite extreme, uh, quite extreme things to help people because they are also desperate. You know, we are really struggling. Young people are really struggling. The system's really struggling. Often people talk about radical change that is needed in the NHS mental health system, yeah. which I agree, which I agree with completely. Mm -hmm. um, this is sort of pushing that quite far into a, uh, a dystopian idea. Yeah. Thank you. Um, you mentioned previously that there's a lot of yourself in the character Sev. Did that make writing him harder or easier? <laughs> Rebecca, I would say there's a bit of me in all the characters. I really love, uh, I, I relate to Sev. I think, well, I've said this before, but my brother read the book before anyone else. I have a twin brother, Tom. He's fantastic. Uh, and he's, you know, we're, we're so close. And he, he was one of the few people that I let read the first book because I was terrified that it was shit. But he, he was like, he was like, this is you. I was like, no, no, it's not me. It's not me. Um, so I think people who know me think that Seb is like me. But, you know, that El so Eleanor, for example, is my favorite character to sort of write. Um, and and the reason I, I like her is because she's a version of me that I never allowed myself to be. I think she's sort of, her default is confidence and strength. And I've always withered under sort of the watchful eyes of authorities. And she sort of is able to, or seemingly able to push herself into a place where she succeeds at, mm. at pleasing them constantly. Uh, Finn is for me also maybe a certain sort of fantasy version of how I wish I'd been throughout my life, which is sort of be able to remain myself throughout uh, and, and amidst all the sort of systems that I've lived in, church, school, drama school. Uh, so yes, uh, my, my answer to your question is it was, it made it easier to write because it was really cathartic and fun to sort of come up with those versions of me um and i didn't struggle with sort of the characterizations i just sort of felt that they were little corners oh i sound like a bit of a wanky author now but like little little parts of me were sort of they're just ready to sort of be put on put in the book and 
so Eleanor, I just used to love getting to the bits where Eleanor would be there because I would sort of be like, oh, I love having that mindset. Being in her head was always so fun for me. Um, so, yeah. So was Eleanor your favourite character to write overall, do you think? Yeah, I do. And people often wonder why. Uh, and, and for me, it's because I feel like she's actually... She, she, to me, she represents, you know, someone who is sort of the version of what society sort of wants people to be like, you know, a uh, high achieving success story, very, very sort of uh, able to deal with the pressure seemingly. I mean, as you, as you all know from reading it, there's something else going on underneath it all, um, which is also really fun for me. So I've just finished writing book two um mm. and uh she those sort of layers are revealed more and more and even writing book two she just sort of is my <laughs> one of my favorites i i just love her and also like when i was growing up i used to watch mean girls i don't know if you've seen it but it was like my favorite film as a as a kid and to me she's got a slightly re certain regina george quality to her which is queen bee sort of vibe you know uh yeah so i i just really enjoy writing her but then there's other characters that i love too like stone i find there's a certain quality there that i love being uh, sort of writing um obviously having worked in the mental health world world they the, the the professionals in the story come out with quite a lot of lingo and and jargon that i know really well uh and you know it's been really interesting to read people respond to that and that they trust Manning. Like for me, that's always fun to write Manning as well, because she's very, I hope she, she makes people trust her because she's so clever and is able to use that lingo well. Um, so she's also, so basically I like writing them all. <laughs> Great, that's the best place to be. <laughs> um, so the, the books, quite dark in places um i wasn't expecting it to be quite so dark did you set out to to write a thriller or you know did this storyline kind of twist and turn away from your original idea that's a good question emma so so you know when you first write your first ever book uh I, for me i'd never sort of known how to do that or been taught how to do that or been shown how to do it so i had no formula to follow I didn't have this formula to follow uh, and I, I think for me that worked it, it was great for me because I, I didn't have any sort of expectations on myself to make it something so I wanted it to be a thriller and I wanted it to be dark yes for sure like I was watching Utopia the Channel 4 series at the time which is incredibly dark and brilliant if anyone ever uh, wants to watch that I highly recommend it Dennis Kelly wrote it uh, it's very vibrant and bright but also dark underneath and that was one of my sort of in influences for this book actually uh, it's how I sort of visualized writing it so very bright and poppy in my head um, with these dark undertones and I just love that sort of juxtaposition so I actually didn't sit down and sort of structure it I, I did not do that. That's not how I write. It's not how I work. I feel that as I move through the plot, I, I you know, characters' motives and intentions shift and change, and that shifts and changes the plot. 
and it surprises me and and I like that because I don't like keeping it all set out which <laughs> was probably quite interesting for my publisher when I had to give them a synopsis of book two and then <laughs> submit book two <laughs> four or five months later um slightly different but um that's that's how I work, you know, and, and I really love my publisher, like my editor, Katie Jennings, at Rock the Boat is amazing. She just like loves, she loves leaning into the darkness and the uncomfortable, uh, which is why I just really respect her. Um, we work really well together because she's always like pushing me into that darkness. The reason I love it is because so Happy Head is this world of smiley faces, isn't it, really? And no one's really like that. And it's almost about who's going to let that smile fade first and be themselves. Um, so, yes, I, I'm really into dystopian. You know, Handmaid's Tale is one of my favourite shows ever, one of my favourite books ever. Um, I love George Orwell. I grew up reading George Orwell. Uh, you know, so I love being in a world. I'm currently watching The Power on Amazon, which uh, is a fantastic realized very out there uh idea that it to me i'm just suddenly in it and believing it and loving it um so i love it when when people create like that and it you know uh so yeah i wanted to be a part of that um so i just sort of did it with absolutely no expectations did you intend to to write um a story that had an lgbtq plus um story as like a subplot was that important to you? I think it is important to me, definitely. I'm like, I, I'm gay. I really struggled with being gay when I was younger and struggled to make sense of that. Uh, it was all tied up in my journey to finding happiness and trying to be, you know, a version of myself that everyone might be proud of or respect or be happy with themselves. Um, so my journey with sort of being myself was difficult. Uh, and the, there's a lot of trauma involved in being young and gay. Certainly when I was gay in the, I still am, <laughs> um, when I was growing up, I should say, when I was growing up. Um, and I know that things have shifted and changed quite a lot and, and the world is becoming more accepting, but there's still a lot of difficulties attached to having to be yourself amongst a world of where where 99% of people are different to you. But I feel like that's the same for lots of people regardless of their sexuality their gender you know it, it whatever makes them different i think we live in this world where their expectations are quite blanket and if you're outside of it it it's hard to fully allow yourself to be who you are um so i wanted an lgbt love story because that's what i know that's the sort of passion involved in that and and the the difficulties of accepting it is very real to me. So I wanted to put that in my book and hope that some other, you know, when I was growing up that I didn't see much LGBT representation, certainly not in books and certainly not on the screen. Uh, so I was like, I really want to do that, uh, put that out there, add to that ever growing uh, sort of um, wealth of experience. So maybe there's someone out there who's just like, and needs it and, and and I wish I'd have found that growing up it would have been a respite for me and helped me to go oh shit I'm it's not just me that hates hates myself and uh, and yeah and yeah 
so very important to me to do that but also not to make it too much a part of the plot in terms of there's a lot more going on outside of that relationship I'm going to slightly dive, sort of digress from our questions here, but I'm just thinking about growing up. I mean, obviously, my experience was very different. I was growing up as a straight girl, but actually there were quite a lot of books growing up for girls that did look at those kind of things. So I'm thinking about the Judy Bloom things and, and stuff like that. I didn't really, I'm not really aware of anything growing up that was really for boys in that way. Was there anything? You mean book-wise? Yeah, book, YA, sort of teenage kind of books that really help boys come to terms with who they were and what problems they might be facing. No, I'm just going to give you a quick, the short answer to that is no. There was no sort of diverse experience for for uh, young boys or any young person who might be identifying in certain ways or struggling with their identity and who they are. There was no nothing in the media or the entertainment world that validated the experience of someone being uh, different to the norm. In fact, it was laughed at. You know, when I was younger growing mm. up, X Factor was this huge phenomenon and used to watch these people come in and they were laughed at, uh, ridiculed for being different. And it makes me so, so sad now when I see clips of that show and the way they used to these these people would have been through rounds of auditions to be put in front of those judges and they're put there to be laughed at those people are real people those people have stuff going on in their lives and that kind of attitude pushed me back from being anything other than what what those judges might have accepted you know which was a very specific thing let's be real like if you look mm. at what society sort of accepts like it's kind of disgusting if you look back over those those audition videos. I don't know why I'm suddenly talking about X Factor, but it sort of represents how I grew up in terms of there people were ridiculed. I was ridiculed for for being a gymnast and doing dance and drama at school, and I don't know how I actually found the strength to keep doing them throughout my college years. But uh, books, no, there it, there wasn't anything in books that I could find. Uh, that sort of represented who I was. TV shows, there was Queer as Folk, and I knew what that was as a young boy, uh, sorry, as a, as a teenager, but I couldn't find it. It was hard to get hold of, and I remember once seeing an episode in the dead of night and thinking, if my mum sees me watching this, I'm a goner, you know? So I don't know if that answers your question, but my experience was certainly not... I think I think it's really important that that, you know, that more diverse realities are presented to everybody I think it, you know ho hopefully it will help because I think like you said it, it just contributes to so much unhappiness doesn't it totally but Emma I feel like society has bent what reality is none of mm. us fit into that none, we're all not quite what is being asked of us or expected of us and yet people will try their best to be that and, and most of us will pretend we are that and do our best to show the other, you know, the other people in in this reality that we're in, that we are doing exactly what we should be doing, and we are succeeding. But actually, if you actually break us all down, none of us can fit into that. No. And mm. I think that's what's so bullshit about the world we live in is it's like it's on it's not real. This version of happiness doesn't exist. It's no. based on lies, and it's based on filters, and it's not a real thing. 
Um, so ultimately, we're, it is my belief that we are all fighting and trying to be something that doesn't exist. So we're all, therefore, going to have some level of unhappiness within us. Yeah. Do, you, do you know what I mean? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I love reading books where people have messed up or, you know, because it just make, it just make you think, thank God it's not just me. <laughs> you know? Yeah. But also just like, just like, oh, a real, you know, that's, yeah. that's. That, I, I relate to that. Like, I, I got to a point in my life where I was like, I'm so sick of pretending that I'm good and successful and can do things. I'm just like sick of trying. It's exhausting. And mm. maybe I should just stop trying to do that. And within that, there's a lot of relief. Well, there was for me anyway. Well, permanent happiness is not possible, is it? Nobody can be happy 100% of the time. It's, it's not possible. No. Happiness is, is almost commodified. It's like it's something you can gain and have and keep, but that doesn't make sense to me, you know. So, um, I was wildly going to change the direction and talk about music, um, which is a strong and important theme throughout the book. Is music important to you and is David Bowie a personal favourite? <laughs> music is very important to me. David Bowie is a favourite of mine, but not something I actually listened to while writing the book. Seb sort of has that within himself, which was lovely to sort of attribute Seb, this person who was so liberated and so able to be against the grain um, as his sort of fantasy and idol. Uh, that's why... He's there, you know, for Seb. I listen to what, what I do have to listen to music when I'm writing. I have ADHD, which is, which I actually only found out recently about, which was very interesting for me. We're not surprised to many other people, but <laughs> um, quite a, a strange moment for me finding that out. But I have to listen to music while I'm writing because it switches off a voice in my head, which is quite loud and chaotic, let's put it that way. But I like to listen to Max Richter and Brian Eno and quite like non-melodic uh, sounds. I like sounds yeah. and uh, sort of atmosphere. Does that make sense? So uh, Max Richter, who does a lot of soundtracks, like that's really fun when you're writing and you're sort of riding the wave of, I don't know, the Inception soundtrack. <laughs> it can add something for me, but also it keeps a, a voice very quiet in my head. Um, people ask me where I write and I don't have one spot because I move mm. around constantly with my laptop like I'll sit here yeah. for 10 minutes and then I'll sit over there for 20 minutes and then I'll pace in between and and I you know I'm learning that that's part of how I do it and that that's okay you know um, but music is so me and my uh, husband David we have music on constantly in the house I can see you smiling because I just got yeah. married yes <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, we have we have music on all the time Radio 6 Classic FM just like a bit of noise is really useful to us maybe not to the neighbours mm. but it is to us I think you may well have answered this question quite uh, already but I'm going to ask you where does your so apart from your own personal experiences where does inspiration come from for you so that's a really interesting question like i find inspiration in anger that i have uh i feel like i'm very angry about certain things i'm angry at myself 
for stuff that's happened to me in my past. I'm angry at the world for lots of things that happens and continues to happen. I'm hungry. I'm angry about the mental health system. I'm passionate about the mental health system. And I, I find that a really useful tool for writing because it gives me a really like, I give zero flying fucks about this because it, it pushes me through. And what that is, is a motor to get the job done, you know, and, but also like it really quiets mm. the sort of self-critical voice in my head because I feel very strongly about a lot of things. Um, I, you just ask, you know, the people I know very well, I can get quite passionate and it's so good for me to be able to put that in character or in narrative. Um, you know, because our world is very polarised, it's very shouty, it's very, uh, you know, Twitter shouting into the echo chamber of that place and, like, not, mu not much time for nuance or the space in between to be sort of shown light. Uh, conversations are very quick and snapshot. Whereas when with books, I feel like with my... I hope with my book, I'm able to channel the frustration I have in a more sort of in a way that doesn't feel like I'm just screaming into a pillow um so anger is 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 one of my big inspirations um and ho sort of holding on to parts of myself that I used to sort of really struggle with I think that's an inspiration for me too in terms of that self-critical voice again like those parts of me are important uh, because they make me unique. Do you know what I mean? So that ma that won't, that makes it different anyway. Uh, yeah, mm -hmm. I hope that answers your question. Absolutely, thank you. So you've mentioned that you've finished book two. <laughs> you've just sent it off. So are you having mm -hmm. a little break or are, have yeah. you started your, your next project? Uh, I'm not having a break. I, I'm sure lots of people around me would love me to have a break, but my brain does not work like that at all. I, I try, I've tried to have the last few days of just like relaxing after quite a uh, exciting and important few weeks and also just off the back of finishing book two, which I was sort of, you know, yeah. I, I just get obsessed and I was doing sort of, I, I was mental health nursing at the same time. Um, I had to take a bit of a break from it so that I could finish the book. And then I was sort of writing 18 hours a day. I just become very obsessed with it and I, and I love it and I, I don't want to leave it. And now I'm like, okay, what, well, you know, I need to keep keep going and keep creating. I think, and like, I'm 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 excited to see what will be next. Uh, but I've got some ideas mm. floating around, and I'm excited to to get brainstorming. I sent my agent an email uh, this afternoon saying, can we set up a call about my next idea? So we're gonna chat about that. <laughs> can I just ask then? Is 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 Happy Head? It's a it's like a two book journey, is it? It's not going to be a trilogy. Do you know what, Emma? I can't really answer that question because there's a lot of, <laughs> a lot of people who want different things in terms of how many books it's going to be. Um, yeah. I'd just say that we're calling well, it a series for now. I'm really yeah. happy with the sort of book two. I think it's darker, it's more twisted, it's more weird. It's I think it's... I'm really excited about people reading it and I hope that people do and we'll see. We'll see. Yeah. I can't wait to read it. Cause it, yeah. We, yeah. 
after finishing book one, I was like, what? <laughs> I need book two now. Such a cliffhanger. I'm so sorry about that. <laughs> There's a bit in it as well that I thought was really clever with a character who, I suppose we shouldn't say their name for people who haven't read the book, but you don't meet them until a certain point, but you feel like you really, I'll say her, feel like you really know her, even though, and then you're like, no, <laughs> when you do meet her, it's brilliant. Oh, good. Yeah, that, that was that was fun, right, in that. <laughs> um, yeah, she's a great character. I, I, she's really helpful in terms of sort of learning about Seb, isn't she? And, and yeah. she's quite a, a strong person in his in his past, in his life. Um, and yeah. for me, it was amazing to have her there as a sort of sort of shadow that is around the book. And then, yeah, um, we, we do see her eventually. I won't say more. <laughs> Um, you mentioned that you listen to music when you're writing. Presumably, you don't read other fiction books whilst you're writing your own. Um, what are you, are you reading now? Well, I've just so what I do do is I read a lot of non-fiction. I just find it really helpful. So I I love Gabor Mate. He wrote, writes a lot about trauma and mental health. He's a Canadian doctor um, who wrote a book called in the realm of hungry ghosts which really helped me with my addiction um so i'm i'm sober and i have been for a, a while now and i really struggled with with that and his book in the realm of hungry ghosts really helped me understand addiction he writes about adhd interestingly a book called scattered minds which has really helped me um his new book the myth of normal i sound like his biggest fan i maybe i am but his <laughs> new book the myth of normal is is really compassionate about individuals and how we shouldn't sort of pathologize everything and mm -hmm. and and label everything and, and it you know the mental health system is very keen to give people diagnoses because of treatment pathways but actually it's quite difficult to use those sweeping terminologies for individuals because i believe our our mental health is based on our experience and everyone's experience is different he took he talks a lot about that. Um, the other thing that I have been reading, so I'm, I'm going to a conference this weekend, so I've been reading um, Simon James Green's book, which is his new YA book, um, Boy Like Me, which is amazing. He's a fantastic writer. I'm excited to speak with him on this panel on Sunday. Um, but the book, I, I think you're going to, maybe ask me about Mancunian writers so I might call <laughs> Yeah, that's the next question. Can you recommend a book or an author with a northern connection? Oh, can I? <laughs> I absolutely can. So I recently read uh, Daniel Joando's And the Stars Were Burning Brightly. So I went into Queer Lit in Manchester the other day um, to sign some copies of Happy Head. They asked me to go in. Lovely, lovely store, like amazing it's a great bookshop. Job. Just Oh, I just was like, what this, uh, you know, because I've been in London for the last 13 years. And, and when I was growing up in Manchester, if I'd have known somewhere like that existed, I would have been in there every day. I would have just gravitated towards it. But um, I met this lovely woman called Danielle in there. And she said that she writes books and that she's from Manchester. And we were sort of having a laugh saying, like, it's so nice to meet other people who are still up here or from up here and writing. And and I didn't really know who she was. And, and I bought her book. And oh my God, like this book is, it, it is amazing. I, I cannot recommend it highly enough. She has this incredible ability to be real, uh, honest and raw and 
it, it's based in the experiences of young people in Withenshaw on one of the largest council estates in Europe. And I just think the way she writes is, is for me, it's oddly nostalgic because I grew up in, in, in a similar sort of uh, you know, Manchester, but also just the way she weaves social status into mental health and how people respond to you if you're from certain statuses and or you know certain demographics um how people look at you how that affects your ability to move forward from grief how the world uh what the world gives you it, to help you move forward from grief uh she is to me an incredible talent i I don't say that often because I, I struggle with reading anyway with, with my ADHD, even though I've, I love doing it and I have done my whole life to, for me to be like, I just, I don't know. I just recommend it to everyone. Um, excited for her other book that I've just ordered, um, which is about knife crime. Um, so yeah, that is my recommendation. Uh, Danielle Joando and the stars were burning brightly and it's a young adult book uh, and the way she sort of gets into the head of this young lad Nate um is just fascinating to me like I just think also like I, 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 do you know what I love like she writes like 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 that someone at age and I think that that takes a lot of skill mm. and almost a lot of bravery too because I think when you're an author sometimes you feel like you've got to be something you've got to sound a certain way or be like literary and have wonderfully flowing sentences but actually it's voice it's you, you you tell a story from someone's voice and perspective and also that's why i love it as well i sound like her biggest fan now yeah. too which i maybe i am but um i learned so so much mm. from it you know i've i've yeah. learned a whole lot about other people's perspectives through her book here and um yeah. that's what i love about the power of books too is like you can you can see something from someone else's point of view and you know my opinion is that we all in this world you know we do so much shouting and there's so much frustration and anger but actually learning about what it's like for the people i don't know how much of that is done yeah and, and also just uh, amazing yeah. to celebrate other northern writers isn't it and and what a fantastic place yeah the north it. is yeah. we're all from the north and we all love it in our own ways and for me like coming back from london to the north i'm like oh it's just that it's there's something about it that's yeah. vibrant and i think cool as well there's something very yeah. cool about the north there's the space of the lake district and the peak district and and it's so diverse yeah. and you know like when you live in london for 13 years it is a bubble mm. and you believe it is the only place in the world that exists and i am so grateful that i've come back up here because everything to me feels more uh less intense and more available to me in a way like there's more space like figuratively and literally i feel like mm. there's more space for conversation to meet people and to to have like going into queer and having a conversation with her that probably wouldn't have happened in london i don't feel like people in london are quite that open um it's a sort of different mind frame i am generalizing a lot but to be able to just have a chat and then to have that experience with her book because of it. That's how I sort of attribute my experience in the North. Um, and creatively, I think it's incredible. I think it's more friendly. Like people are more friendly to each other and are willing to have, like you say, you go in the shop and people will have a chat to you or 
absolutely and that's nice and you don't get that in london well i think i think it is different isn't it like there is a different aura like yeah. i feel like in london it's very much like strive rat race style whereas i feel mm. like in manchester where i'm from it's a lot like settle and like let's hear thing almost doesn't sound like a wanker but anyway that's how that's how i feel when i was at drama school i used to come back up on the train i used to remember being on that uh virgin train the two hour 10 one on my my shoulders would just relax as I was coming up because I just felt like things didn't ma matter as much in a good way. And like, uh, and, and that to me is so important. And also in London, I feel like I'm constantly waiting for the next thing. What's next? What's next? Like, I find it very difficult to be present in London. I feel, find it very difficult to be present anyway. I'm constantly fighting that battle in my life, but I find in, in Manchester, in the North, I'm able to enjoy myself more and I'm able to be, even if a little bit more present uh, around people and enjoy what's right in front of me. Do you know what I mean? Does that, does that sound like bollocks? I don't know. You're preaching yeah. to the okay. converted. <laughs> yeah. Completely. <laughs> Thank you so much for coming on and talking to us. And we wish you all the success in the world with Happy Head. Um, it's a wonderful read and we highly recommend it to everyone. Thank you so Thank much. Thank you so much for having me. It's such a pleasure to meet you. Thank you. That was absolutely wonderful. Thank you so much, Josh. Um, if you want to find out more about Josh and uh, follow what he's up to, he is on Instagram um, and his address is at smudgecotton, S-M-U-D-G-E-C-O-T-T-O-N. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. Don't forget to follow us on um, Instagram, we're The Northern Connection, and on Twitter, we are at Northern Pod. And we will be back very soon with another episode. Bye for now.